All right, ladies and gents, your buddy Gavin, filibuster freestyle, we're back. Today we finally are going to talk to our buddy Keith Norton, a.k.a. Keith Norton, voice actor. Uh, his title is self-explanatory, but Keith uh, is a professional voice actor. And so we've been trying to get him on for a while. For those of you who have been listening for a long time, Keith actually has done some intro segment clips, some voice segment clips for us. Um, you know, that we've used in the past a lot. We don't use them as much anymore. That's not really because of the quality of Keith Worth. That's because of the uh, the laziness of the crack research team and the crack engineering team to not always put those in there. But been wanting to do this for a while with Keith. Uh, he's ready to ready and raring to go. So uh, we're going to hit the theme song, filibusterfreestyle.com. Check the website out. You can see show notes, the blog. Uh, you can hear about some of our frequent guests and contributors and pundits. There are some bios up there. We've got a couple different sections on there. We've got... Uh, most notably, some of our HBO-related content, which, well, number one, Game of Thrones is coming back in 2019. So know that we're going to be all over that with Wine, Wall, and Dragons with our buddy Dan O'Brien. But also, I've got not one, but two pundits who are really challenging to talk about season three of True Detective, both Andrew Patterson and Dan Ruddle. And at some point, I'm going to be doing that as well. But for now, like I said, check out the website, filibusterfreestyle.com. And uh, stay tuned for Keith Norton, voice actor. And if you want to maybe hire Keith to be a voice actor for your company or to read voiceovers, etc., he is at KeithNorton.com. Here comes the theme song, Keith Norton on the other side of the break. Filibuster, filibuster freestyle. Filibuster, filibuster Watch out for the filibuster. 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 Filibuster freestyle. Filibuster freestyle. It's the filibuster freestyle. Filibuster freestyle. All right, ladies and gents, as promised, Keith Norton, voice actor, buddy of the show, buddy of ours. We're glad to finally have him on the show. Uh, we're going to do, do some fun stuff about Keith's kind of career as he's emerged in the, in the voice acting community, some of the aspirations he has, maybe some funny anecdotes, and obviously we got to do some of Keith's voices. Uh, some of Keith's uh, creations will probably join us as well. So, Keith, welcome to The Freestyle, man. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me, Gavin. Absolutely. It's been a, it's been a while to do this. I explained to the, to the longtime listeners that if they, if they, um, if they recognize your voice, um, it's because you, you've done a lot of uh, segment bit and, and bit intros for us, so it's good to have you on for more than, say, 30 seconds at a time. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're excited. So listen, what I want everybody to do, and I've already said this before the theme song, but if you want to check out more about Keith, I want to make sure we say it off the top. It's www.keithnorton.com, and you can hear demos. Keith does characters. He does uh, e-commerce. He does... Uh, obviously commercial bits, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, obviously he's a, he's a professional voice actor for hire. Uh, I'm going to be the one to pl- plug it for him so he doesn't have to do that himself. But uh, great demos. I mean, Keith, you sent me a bunch of stuff, and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the characters. Um, but let me ask you this. When you do the background music or when you do your bits, whether it's for characters or, 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 or demos for e-commerce, etc., are you finding that sample music and all the back sound effects as well or no? No, that's a good question. Um, so <clears throat> when you are a voice actor and you're creating a demo, your demo is in essence um, your portfolio, yep. what you're capable of doing. Uh, in some cases, you're drawing from actual work you've done. In other cases, you're actually trying to manufacture a perfect quality sound and sample of what you're capable of doing. Yep. And so there's two ways you could go about doing that. You can go and do it at home. 
Um, in some cases, in some of my demos, I've done that where I've just taken work that is available that I can find online and I'll piece it together into something. Or you work with a professional producer mm -hmm. to create a demo from scratch. And what that entails is working directly with the producer, uh, getting them to know what you're capable of doing. And this isn't the kind of thing you do over a weekend. Gotcha. This is the kind of thing that you train for for certainly an extended period of time. Uh, you know, my commercial demo was my first one. Uh, I worked with the school that I am still currently a student at, and I'm also an instructor. Yep. Um, but I worked with them for about eight months before I did my first demo. Wow. Um, my second one, I worked with a different coach, and I worked with him for about six months, and then got ready for that demo. Wow. So um, that's a lot. That's a lot that goes into just getting ready for the demo that I, I think people will be surprised by. That's cool to, to know. Um, and so that process, who does the sound for you and stuff? Do they pick that up from kind of their library of sound, or how does that work? It depends on the shop that you go to. Um, so the one that I did at my school, they had everything available right at their fingertips. Um, that was my first commercial one. My second commercial one, uh, I worked with a team that had a whole basket of sound effects and, and, uh, and music. Uh, and, and the same could be said for pretty much the other ones that are much more professional sounding on my website than, uh, say, the other ones. Not that the other ones aren't good. But, you know. Yeah, no, they're, they're all real good. And, and I had my earphones in today when I was um, listening, you know, kind of re-listening to your, your demos. And obviously, if you've got good earphones, then you can really hear everything, including your voice, but besides your voice. And I'm just like, man, there's so much going on in this in this clip. So that's really cool to hear. Um, Thanks. Do you, so when you guys edit that, clearly you're editing it as a team, but the question can still stand. Do you enjoy the editing part of the process as much as the crafting of the actual vocal portion of the process or are you really much more ensconced in what you're saying and you know, you're kind of just along for the ride for the editing yeah I'm more along for the, for the ride while I do some of my editing for uh, clients that I do directly work with yep. or uh, if I'm submitting an audition for the most part I trust the engineers and I trust the producers they do this stuff for a living they're really good at it they're much better than I am they've been training for a long time <laughs> to get yeah. an idea of what sounds good, what's trendy, what's uh, what's going to be tomorrow's trend, uh, what doesn't sound good. Um, so they're they're much more uh, adept at that. I'm just really there to focus on delivering a performance as an actor. Gotcha. And then it was through the school that you're you're, you're training at still, and that you're now teaching at, that you're able to get hooked up with these type of people. Is that fair to assume? Well, in some respects, yes. Um, really, though, over time, I've, I've been at it since March of 2015. Yep. And um, while the school has introduced me to a, a, a tremendous amount of people, uh, you know, the name of the school, by the way, is Voice One. It's um, it's based in San Francisco, and I think it's one of the real gems in the voice acting community. And so I've had a chance to meet a lot of people that have come from all over the world to be instructors. Uh, at our school. Uh, however, I got into the conference world mm -hmm. about two years ago. And so there's a number of these voice acting conferences um, that are, are terrific. They're amazing networking opportunities for voice actors and for people that are in the ancillary services and businesses related to voice acting. Very cool. So I met a lot of these people that way. Gotcha. So that actually kind of has a, a question that I had for later, but you mentioned you got into this in 2015. Um, how did this come about that you pulled the trigger on going after this? Um, no, great question. Um, you know, the reality is, is when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a cartoon voice. That mm -hmm. was my dream. Mm -hmm. um, I had no idea how to get able to get there. Uh, I, I screwed around with it for a while, and uh, back in when I was living back on the East Coast, and 
you know, I kind of stumble into things that I could audition for. And I, honestly, looking back on it, I'm embarrassed that I did it, but hey, I did <laughs> um, I'd hate to listen to what those things sound like. Uh, but when I came out to San Francisco, this is back in 2011, you know, I was looking for a bit of a creative outlet. So I, I screwed around with stand-up comedy. I screwed around with podcasting. And, and I wasn't necessarily finding the thing that, that animated and elevated me. Mm-hmm. And you know, by the grace of, of God, a, a friend of mine, uh, had told me that uh, he thought I should do voice acting, and he had actually done it back in the 90s himself. Oh, wow. So <laughs> he told me about this school voice one that I mentioned earlier, and I just went in for an intro session. And it's, you know, it's like 40 people in a classroom, and the first hour is uh, this is what voice acting is about, here's what the industry is about. And then the next hour is trying to go and make sense of how the school fits into that whole scenario. Mm-hmm. And then finally, it's you know, the last hour is just everybody gets up and plays on the microphone. And man, just something was jarred loose. I, I fell in love with it. And I looked at the course schedule. I realized that it was so convenient for me. It was right by, my, uh, by, by the train that I would take home from my day job every single day. And I could literally get off the train, walk to class two, three, four days a week and then spend my weekends at the school and I could go and make something of it. So I, I did about maybe two years worth of academic work in about six to eight months. Wow, you banged it out. Yeah. Cool, man. That's awesome. Um, so with commercials, um, I was re- you, know, you had a commercial demo that I listened to again a few times, including this morning. Um, do you get the ability to tweak any of those scripts that you're reading for demos or are you literally reading a script that you've uh, acquired from them and to, to kind of try out? Well, I mean, just for the demo, you've got a little bit of a creative license to go and do it. There's a, there's probably a bigger leap to um, the audition to actually go and get work, and then when you actually get the job itself, that's a, those are completely different answers. Gotcha. Uh, I think <laughs> a lot of people uh, shy away from uh, really um, ad-libbing or improvising during uh, the process, and I happen to think that there's room for it. Yep. Uh, during the audition, I think there's a great opportunity to do it where you you – you can make the script your own and it could be something just a subtle uh, change in, in, in word here and there and making it a little bit more conversational uh, and there's not much room for the you know the big booming voice guy right. reading the, the script <laughs> just this way uh, so much as I wish there was uh, most of the stuff is, is really just kind of sounding like how you and I are talking to each other right now and that is you know, there's some stuttering there's some stammering so that that can be thrown in and, and to try to make the script a little bit closer to what you have when you're in the actual session itself you know you'll you'll see a different script altogether than what you saw during the audition sure because they've reworked it and yeah yeah yeah. and and these people play a lot of money uh to be able to figure out what needs to be said to go and sell whatever product is uh, that they're trying to sell um so they go through a lot of effort but when you're in the session what you'll find is you'll record the script exactly as it is and then the director will go and say okay Let's completely forget about what we just did. Let's try it a couple of different ways. What, what do you got? And, you know, in that situation, uh, really, uh, this is the stuff that you learn in training, but you come, uh, you come to that situation with only minor tweaks. Yes. Uh, but you, you just think of them as three options. I only have three options. So if I started my first read with my inflection going up, yep. my second one, I'm going to do it down. My third, I'm going to do completely different. <laughs> and so it's one, two, three. And yep. those are the just quick little variations that you have. So that's one way you can do it. Gotcha. Uh, there's a lot of physicality in it. So maybe the first read, I'm pointing with my right hand the entire time. And the second read, I'm pointing with my left hand the entire time. We're going back and forth between the two. 
Uh, so I think there's just ways you can mix things up very subtly that can give more options to uh, the directors. So that way, when they go to the client, they can show them a variety of things and make a better decision. Sure. Now, when I when I listen to the commercial reel, your promos versus kind of your character ones, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I heard any nuances or tonality of your characters in your commercial reads. However, um, have you ever channeled one of your characters? F- for a read or has a read ever given you uh, an idea for a character? Uh, the answer to both is absolutely. Nice. Um, you know, th- there are times when you just kind of feel like a script that you're given calls for a character that I've got in my toolkit. Now, mm. my character demo that's on my site is only a, a little snippet of the characters that I have available to me. Sure. Um, and, and I create all those myself. Sometimes they're copycats of, of famous people, not so much impressions, but, you know, I'll launch pad off of that person. Um, but you know you've always got to be able to pull them out into the into, put them into the situation that you're being called for. In other cases, you know, I, it's funny. I, I've always been able to do the voice, but I never had the character. Mm. So I did an audition uh, for <coughs> Dunlop Guitar Strings, and uh, you know they make all the guitar strings yeah. that you know you, you shred and melt places with. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I read the script, and it just kind of felt to me that there was an opportunity to create a little bit of a universe around it. And so I just imagined that I was a roadie. And so I just came up with this, this little spiel where I said, oh, man, life on the road was awesome. The women, the fans, the fame. Dunlop guitar strings made it happen. <laughs> and, and then I went right into the script. And, and so I auditioned with that. And they, they reached out to my agents. And they said they, they, they wanted to hire me. And it was so funny when they, <laughs> they hired me and pulled me out to, the, to their uh, studio uh, in, in uh, Northern California. And um, they're like, we, we could have just paid you for your audition because it's actually perfect. It was, <laughs> nice. It was just what we were looking for. And you stood out among all these other people, which is hundreds of people. You stood out because you told us a story and you captured us. And I felt like I was sitting at a bar with you and you were a roadie for Zeppelin or Aerosmith. And you were telling us stories from, from you know, the 70s and all the craziness. Man, um, that's great. And, and it was awesome. So that created a new character for me, though, that whole experience. What's that character's name? I haven't named him yet, but I know he's a roadie. <laughs> Fair. If you, as long as you know what he does for a living, you can you got something to go on. Yeah. It's, it's, so what I'll go from here is now I'll start writing his backstory and, and you know, I'll try to get some depth to him and make him three-dimensional. Uh, so that way, when he's put in a different situation, I know how he would react. Fantastic. And we're going to get in a couple of your, that, that in a minute, but I want to make sure we hit a couple other things. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the backstory part is pretty fascinating. But you alluded to this a little bit in terms of there's not a lot of room for just big booming voice guy in every single read, every spot. Totally agree with that. But when we were talking about a month and a half ago, um, you mentioned that this guy John Bailey is basically the uh, the movie trailer voice legend guy. You know, movie movie yeah. movie promo guy, and he's doing that Nissan commercial people have seen lately, and that's big time. But yep. is it really? Was it when you first started hard to not like hear his voice doing a read, or, or was that something they weaned you off of quickly in school? Well, I mean, I would say at the time that I started, um, uh, you know, I, I wasn't aware of too many voice actors out there, so I wouldn't be paying attention to John Bailey at that point. Got it, okay. Um, you know, and, and what I would say at the beginning, my tendency was to explode uh, with my voice mm-hmm. and really project. And, um, you know, I didn't have control. I didn't have subtlety. and I wasn't acting. I was just booming with my voice. Yeah, yeah. And then you learn over time that, first and foremost, you got to have control 
secondly, uh, you don't want to blow out the engineer's ears. Hmm. Fair. Detail. Fair. Um, and then really it's driven the third and, and the probably the most critical is the trend isn't there right now. It's starting to shift a little bit. You're seeing more and more spots on radio and TV and even on the internet that are calling for that big, 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 big voice, that epic voice. And that's where a guy like John Bailey, who's been working his tail off for many years and has had success, that's where he's gotten this this next level of success and popularity. Got it. So another guy with that voice of, of God, that epic voice, and it's Super Bowl season, so been watching a lot of um, NFL films clips, and there's, you know, the old, the old, the old, uh, I don't know, I guess the, the first guy I think of when I think of a voice narrator who's John Facenda of NFL yeah. films, you know, the late great. But here's a guy who died in 1984, and when everybody imitates narration of the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, that guy's voice lives forever. It's, everybody knows that. It's crazy. I think back to when I was in college, just making fun of <laughs> making fun of that hey, Lambo field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the music, and it's just so synonymous with that guy's voice. And it's yeah. again, he's been dead for thirty-five years, and you'd think he was still with us. Um, well, what's neat is every once in a while, an audition will come through, and it will actually suggest we we would consider listening to to this kind of read, and they'll reference him, and they'll reference the NFL films music, and you know, for me, it's really easy. The, the music, the drum beat, just comes right in my head and, mm-hmm. you know, it's Brett Favre dropping back in fourth and 23 <laughs> exactly I love it so you're a football fan right are you a Jets fan or a Giants fan what's your what's your team oh uh, you know I'm a Jet fan yeah that's what I thought um, it's uh, I, was, I was born and raised in Connecticut of Long Island parents went to school in Jersey worked in Midtown Manhattan so you know I've kind of that New York tri-state area my entire life sure and uh my folks, because they're from Long Island, the Jets moved in when, when my dad was you know, in his prime kiddom years, and, and so he became a Jet fan. Totally. Well, the, unfortunately, yeah. I became a Jet fan. Yeah, and it's tough, and I, and I only brought, that, that segue was only there because you, about six or eight weeks ago when we talked last, introduced me to Gary V. Uh, yes. I did not, I somehow had, he had flown completely off my radar, even though now that I literally followed him on Instagram and Twitter, as you suggested, and the guy's in my feed more than anybody. <laughs> Um, yep. So one, thanks for thanks for suggesting somebody that I had no idea about. Two, I have no idea how I missed him. But three, um, he's great because he actually does a really good job of doing what I think most people need to do, which is just just make content and don't give a damn and try your best. And you know, there's no magic success to that other than if you don't make content, you won't mm-hmm. you won't be a success. And yeah. um, you know, really cool. So I appreciate that. And then and then I've learned subsequently that he is essentially. Um, the, like the Mount Rushmore Jets fan, diehard, you know, people hope he buys the team one day type guy, which has just been an interesting backstory to see as well. Um, yeah, um, you know, he, he is the Jet fan. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we had, um, I agree. you know, Fireman Ed for the longest time. And when he parted ways with us, you know, we kind of lost out on what the, the fan face looked like. <laughs> and uh, Gary V's doing it. And he's, you know, he's a Jersey boy. And, and uh, certainly, um, you know, I think he's got, a terrific goal and I wish him well absolutely you never know he, he, he can't do worse than the current ownership from my from my oh day. I'm not gonna say that <laughs> there's as a Jet fan you always learn <laughs> oh man that's that's amazing Shot. 50 years man it's been 50 years since we've been in a Super Bowl that's fair that's fair well you never know these things have a way of being cyclical at some point um so one of the things I want to do and I want to get into backgrounds of stories of your characters but yeah 
It is the Super Bowl, and I did listen to your character reel, and there were about seven or eight voices that I heard, and apparently that wasn't everybody in your toolkit. But I would love to hear you, and I suggested a couple, but we can think about it, but some Super Bowl-related week, prep week um, situations that maybe some of your characters could either would either actually be in based on their backstory or if we threw them into a situation, you know, what they might say or sound like. But I guess talk about, we can even go, well, we can't go back to the roadie guy because he doesn't have a backstory yet. But what was kind of, give me one of your characters where you had a lot of fun creating their backstory and what it is. Sure. Um, you know, there's there's one character that I have. Uh, her name is Peggy. She's an older woman from the South. <laughs> kind of a spinster. <laughs> but she's always got a little bit of a twinkle in her eye. She, she doesn't quite suffer fools, and uh, but she does not want to go beat you up in case you make a mistake. I mean, that's your own goddamn fault. <laughs> Peggy, I like Peggy. How long yeah, have you been? Pe- how long have you been working on for probably about maybe eight months? Um, I have a little puppet sort of set up as her to kind of go and, and uh, uh, help inspire me in terms of where I'm taking her as a character. Um, but the neat thing with that is that I can take Peggy and put her in situations, but I can also tweak her a little bit, and you know, the, the, I can put her not so much and be a woman. I can make her into a man, and I can interchange the character a little bit more. And I don't know if you picked up on it, but the launch pad for that character is Herbert the Pervert from Family Guy. Yeah, yeah, I think we talked about that, which is the only reason I'm, I, I it jogged my memory big time. But now that you say it out loud again, yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's strong, yes, and a little whistle. <laughs> now, can I ask you what, what the names of a couple of your characters are? As long as my, you know, I tried to jot some notes down for myself, but who's the character who's like your first on your demo who said it's amazing what people throw in the garbage? What's that character? Uh, that is Milo. It is amazing what people throw in the garbage. <laughs> Look at these. And I, and I, I have to them roll the paper. So Milo, um, I worked with a guy named Bob Bergen on creating that character to start off with. Bob is actually the voice of Porky Pig. Oh, wow. And um, he's got one of the greatest stories of getting into voice acting of all time. It's all on his uh, website. But long and short, he he tracked down Mel Blanc when he was a 13-year-old kid and told him they wanted to be him one day. And sure enough, he he did. Wow. (laughs) So trust me, the story is much more in-depth than that. Call the shop, but that's cool, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was working with uh, with Bob at a a workshop uh, a couple years back. It was really about creating characters from scratch. And and what he would do is he gave me a picture uh, to go along with a script. And he said, let's see what you got. And it was uh, this particular lab rat character. And I just felt like... You know, he sort of was smart and, and maybe a, his status in, in every situation was going to be a little bit higher in his own mind. So he's kind of talking down to people. Um, and, you know, it, it, I thought that he was kind of like a character in like CSI mm-hmm. um, or maybe even in Law and Order where he's the crime scene guy or maybe the, the, um, the M.E. coming in and looking at things. And he's like, oh, you, pe- you people are so silly. You don't understand anything about this place. <laughs> Nice. Now, who who's the one that um that uh is kind of like an Italian mobster? Is that like a like a mob boss or like a wise yeah. guy? Yeah, I mean, very inventive with his name. His name is Tony. Of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that's just basically uh, growing up on the East Coast and, and outside of the Manhattan area. You, you know, nine thousand guys that sound like that. 
And so, oh, of course, boss. Kick your ass over here. And boss, he's got a job for you to do. You know, he's kind of like the, the big mobster type and, and uh, trying to be a tough guy all at the same time. But also, placate the boss. You don't want to go to upset the boss. Now, if he was so going to place a if he was going to place a bet on the uh, the color of the Gatorade for this uh, this Super Bowl, which um, I think I wrote down the prop. The prop is uh, plus three seventy five that the winning coach will be dumped on in blue. If he was telling Nikki to go place the bet or placing the bet himself, can we do a little bit of that? Is that possible? Uh, Nikki, Nikki, get your ass over here! I want you to go and put three seventy five on blue to be thrown on Belichick at the end of the game. <laughs> but I want you to also tease that the L.A. Rams will actually be replaced by the L.A. Raiders at halftime. <laughs> nice, nice. And he's just like a standard Jersey guy. His backstory is just like every, not every guy you, not every guy we know. But the curve on him, I had him. He born and raised in, in Hoboken, New Jersey. Um, you know, he was uh, kind of a, a tough guy, but never really the toughest guy. Uh, he kind of used his uh, his charm to be able to go and win people over. Um, I, I always thought that the, the charm element of a character is always very interesting to be able to give them uh, influence. Um, the whole thing with creating a character and with acting in general is to try to go and figure out their status. Yep. You know, are they even with the person you're talking with? Are they higher? Are they lower? And, and what does that mean? And when you've got, I like charming characters because they can be fluid in where they live uh, in that status situation, um, depending on who they're around. And so they kind of are, they morph just like we, just like normal people do. Correct. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this. There's, a, there's one that I really like, and I like for uh, a Super Bowl-related bit or a playoffs-related bit, but your seventh voice on your promo is this guy who has got a great, booming voice, but he's basically very matter-of-fact about explaining that he's a complete slacker. Um, he's the yesterday I told you I was planning to take out the garbage, I overreached guy. Who's that? Yes. Uh, so that is Brand O'Brien. Brand is a little bit of a Sean Hannity mixed with Rush Limbaugh, ultimately. <laughs> And he is just full of it. Yeah, he's amazing. What if he, in place of Roger Goodell, who is, I still think, not issued a statement on the Rams' interference that was not called against the Saints in the NFC Championship, what if uh, Roger Goodell said, you know what, Brand O'Brien, I need you to do do the statement on why the referee didn't call interference when the whole world saw him hit him helmet, helmet to helmet before the ball got there? Is there something Brand could do for me there? Absolutely. Last week, I believe we all saw the defensive back hit the wide receiver, not only before he had a chance to catch the ball, but in the head. And now normally I understand that that would have been a flag for any number of penalties, but sadly, it was not. (laughs) Now I know that you think you wanted to see a real Super Bowl matchup between the Saints and perhaps the Patriots and Chiefs, but sadly, we only wanted to see Boston against L.A. (laughs) Nice. I love it. I love it. Uh, all right, and i got to ask, who is Crabs Our Delicious guy? Oh, that's, that's Martin Bixler. <laughs> Martin's just disgusting. <laughs> he's got a lot, of, just, a lot of things going on with him. He's, he's kind of precious at his core, uh, but he's also very disgusting, but doesn't really pay attention to any of those things. He thinks everybody just loves him. <laughs> so he's got no self-awareness? Um, uh, it's actually um, so it's a bunch of people all boiled into one he's another one that I worked on with Bob Bergen Um, you know I started off doing this disgusting character that looked like a like a walking zit 
Mm. And, uh, you know, Bob was just like, I love it. I love it. But what if you had a side lisp? And that's that schlucky S. Yes. And so I just love doing that. It's such a fun sound. So that's a called a side lisp? It's called, I believe, a side lisp. Nice. As opposed to the lisp up front. Like a, like Sylvester, Sylvester the Cat is up front. Your side lisp is off to the side. Gotcha. Now, um, yeah. you know what? Well, first of all, side lisp was unplanned, but it is the fake band name of the week. Side lisp. <laughs> Uh, that's actually a really good band name So whoever takes it You're welcome And when you get inducted To the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame In 25 years Keith and I are invited um, But number two Wasn't there a character On like maybe Ren and Stimpy or somewhere That had a side lisp You know that's That's been out In a lot of different forms I would say Yeah I mean um, sure I'm not saying Yeah I mean obviously yeah. The one that sticks to mind The most for me Is um, Is uh, what's his name? Neil Goldman from Family Guy. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 The, I think that's the most relevant one right now. Um, you know, of course, I've also encountered people in in my life that have had that uh, as a speech impediment. So I don't do it to go and mock them, but I think you know it exists and it's a way to go and create texture into the character. Yeah. Totally. Um, I agree with that. And, it, and a lot of the stuff for me, the the, the affect of the side lisp is is merely just a, an extra widget into the depth of the character. For me, the real character is. And you hit on it. He's completely, totally unself-aware. Um, and the scene itself, how I always envisioned it, was a kid I grew up with. Yeah. Uh, who, oh, he was just gross. <laughs> he was absolutely disgusting. Sometimes we have those people in our lives, oh, you know? God. He, he was a couple years older than us, and, and we, he came to Park and Rec when we were little kids, and uh, somebody brought in, like, a bunch of crabs to go and hand out to all the kids. This really did happen. And he just grabbed them. He's like, you're eating it wrong. And so he just pulls the crabs apart, and he's eating all my crabs right in front of me. I never actually had any crab. So essentially, he bullied you while at the same time being completely pathetic. Very helpful. <laughs> yeah. I, I got a demonstration of how to eat Yeah, you crabs. got a tutorial, which is nice. And, uh, you know, he got to eat the crabs. Let me ask you this. This is even better now that I know more about this character and where, where the genesis is from. Let's pretend that Bill Belichick, Sean McVay, Jared Goff, Tom Brady, none of those four guys want to give the Super Bowl speech on the field, two-minute drive to win the whole thing. And unfortunately, this guy has to. Can he try to give his teammates in the huddle that we're going to go down and score a touchdown, two minutes left here, guys. Because clearly he has no awareness that he's not qualified to, to lead the drive. But because he doesn't have that qualification or that awareness, he probably would still give a speech. So what do you think? Well, I think what we could do is the – I'm going to dip into the, the, the history a little bit more here. Okay. Um, let's see. What was the what was Keanu Reeves' character's name in the replacements? Oh, um, it wasn't Johnny Utah because that was um, I'll look it up. Crack research team Johnny. Shane Falco. Yes, Shane yes, Shane Falco, a million percent. Let's look up the Shane Falco speech because I think that's the speech. Okay. I think so. Let's get that going. <laughs> Bear with me here. It comes. It comes up. Okay. No, good. Fine. Good job on the Falco there because I was going to blank on that because I was just thinking Johnny Utah. The best part is that Keanu has either played a quarterback or his backstory character was a quarterback before Keanu played him in, in multiple movies, which is which is interesting. He has, he has, and he, he's a lot better actor than I think people give him credit for. Anyway, this we'll, is true. We'll, we'll we'll focus on it's. Uh, give me a, a down and distance situation here, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably second and eight, and we are you know on the seventeen yard line trying to drive about eighty three yards. 
say something classy and inspirational, but that just wouldn't be our style. <laughs> anyway, pain heals, six big stars, and glory, oh, glory lasts forever. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. <laughs> love it. I love it. Uh, I got one more question about a character, and then if you have other characters that you want to let us let them rip, I mean, come on, do it. But who's the hero type voice? Who him and Kodar and you need to kill the alien scum? What's that guy? Well, that's more of like a um, you know the reality with with video games and um, with a lot of animated projects is most of the time the the uh, the stuff that you get uh, to in those situations are very real characters. Yes. Uh, they're not over the top characters like the ones I've done here today. They're, they're just kind of resolute and resigned to the fact that this is how we're going to go about things. Yes. You know, we're not, we're not really happy uh, that we're in this situation, but you know what? We have to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's just a normal, regular voice. And so that character is blaze and he's more of a, you know, more of a hardened, he's kind of seen it all situation and um, nothing really surprises him anymore but he knows at a certain point he doesn't have any choice in the matter he's just got to go and act I I love that his name is Blaze first of all B-L-A-Z-E of course of course who who's Kodor um (laughs) I just pulled it out of my you know what oh really there's no backstory on (laughs) Kodor oh it's too bad (laughs) I was thinking like some type of a of a cross between like Chewy or like R two D two or like a, like literally like a pet. Well, I want if it wants to be Chewy, that's easy. We we always have him available. <laughs> <laughs> Chewy's never been in the pod before, so that's awesome. There we go. <laughs> now, of course, Disney's probably going to sue me, but that's okay. <laughs> it was set. No, no, it's all good. We're seven seconds or less, and we're good there. Um, so I guess going back to, to seriousness really quickly, in terms of the agent piece, you mentioned your agent earlier and working with an agent, and I noticed that if people want to book you, obviously you represented it. Actually, it sounds like you represented on different continents and parts of the country by different people, which is cool too, but how'd, how'd, that go, how'd that come about to get your first agent? How did you go about getting second, not second agents, but other agents? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, you know, initially I was getting ready to, I just done my, my demo. Yep. In August of 2011, and um, I started sending it out to uh, people that I knew uh, to just really tap into my own network and try to get work. Um, you know, do I have a number of friends who work in corporations or institutions, and I just sent it out and say, "This is what I'm capable of. If I could ever help you with some sort of narration or anything like that, I'd be happy to." So uh, I was doing it on my own for a while, and I still do. Um, the, the the getting an agent is very similar process. You just have to make sure you get your demo in front of all of them. Got it. And I was just about to start doing that. And I went to a sort of drop-in open house meet the agent night at my school. And they do that once every couple months where they bring in a local talent agent. And they really do it from a standpoint of the talent agent is there to be an extra instructor mm-hmm. and to give you more of, more honest feedback on terms of where you are in, in, in relationship to the marketplace. Got it. And it's very helpful, and but also for the agent's perspective, they might stumble upon somebody that they want to have on their roster. And that's kind of what happened in my case. I, I went to this one session. I had a good night. The next day, I got an email from them saying that they wanted to represent me. I asked if I could think about it. They said, no, we have a contract. <laughs> so <laughs> they sent me a contract, and I signed it. Fantastic. Lever- <laughs> Leverage is a beautiful thing. 
Yes, uh, December of 2015. So really, I hadn't even been on, uh, at it for uh, a year at that point when I got uh, signed by my uh, first agent, who is my primary agent, I guess, in many respects, because they're the ones that's located right down the street from me. Um, but I've got other agents as well. And uh, those are relationships that I've either built over time, uh, which would be the example of my agent in uh, Texas, who I got to know the founding partner of that agency socially and then eventually we decided to work together nice um or it came from canvassing agencies around the world where i literally just emailed all of my 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 demos out to these different agencies and different markets i wanted to have some representation gotcha Uh, so i'm now represented in san francisco uh austin texas uh, washington dc boston massachusetts dublin ireland and I have a relationship with an agent out of New York. Uh, that's a little bit more of a casual relationship there, but it's nonetheless, they throw me a bone every once in a while. So are these, when you have to have these different people in different areas, is that because the, the market is for, for paying people is so localized? Is that how it works? Well, there's a couple different uh, reasons. The first thing, the neat thing with being a voice actor uh, in today's day and age is, you really don't have to be anywhere. Right. You can do all the work at home, right? I mean... Yeah, in, in theory. And the only exceptions to those rules, I would say, are in L.A. and New York. And that's just because that's just those towns, really. Uh, they've, they've got a ton of talent all around the place. They, the people that are hiring people can go and say, I want you to come in. Because yep. I want to make sure you're the actual voice and that it didn't take you 45 minutes to go and record something that should have taken you five minutes. Ah, you, that makes yeah, sense. They, so, yeah, they can, make, can you be... be in and out. Right, can can this guy do this on the fly versus yeah, yeah. got it. Is he gonna is he gonna suck time out of our day if we actually hire him? Um, so you know that, that's the kind of reason for that right off the bat um, is as a voice actor you want to be represented in different regions because you can be. Um, the second reason is yeah there are some things that just exist in certain markets that are different than others. Uh, I happen to live in in San Francisco and out here while we do have a little bit of everything, uh, we'll get more auditions that are um, in the biotech area or heavy tech stuff mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't necessarily exist in the same level across the country. Uh, Washington, D.C., you'll see a little bit more political stuff possibly coming out, uh, but you'll also see a variety of, um, you know, out of that particular agent, I get a lot of animation, oddly enough, oh. um, yeah, which is interesting. Uh, I'll see video games uh, come out a lot from my agent out of Texas, and then national and local uh, ads will also come out of them as well. Um, so, you know, you've got different things. And then I got a, one agent that, that sends me just the most eclectic mixture of auditions that could range anywhere from an audiobook mm. to um, a short documentary to uh, ADR looping and dubbing. Uh, it's just a wide variety of things. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. This popped into my head while we were talking about agents. Have you ever either been offered or taken the job of a script where it was completely antithetical to your like beliefs, but you were just like, uh, okay, well, it's money, so here we go, or, or no? No, um, I, I haven't had that opportunity. It, it may, and I'll be honest with you, I know a lot of people that, that think about that. Gosh, you know, my mind is, um, it's got to be, for me, just this is just my personality. I don't get offended by very much. Yeah. Uh, I have my, my moral and ethical compass, and I, and I can operate within that. Sure. Um, but I haven't seen anything ever come along that, that would cause me pause. I've thought about what maybe it was or what maybe it would be. And I can't even imagine what it would be that would actually fall into the advertising space. <laughs> right. Because to your point, <laughs> well, you mentioned the, the political sphere, and then I was thinking of super PACs and maybe things like that. And maybe, mm. 
And maybe th- maybe someone's like, man, we really need uh, we really need Blaze to talk about subject yeah. X, and subject X you happen to be on the absolute other side of because you're not actually Blaze. You know what I mean? But anyway, yeah. Um, uh, basically, with like political stuff, um, the rule of thumb is, you know, as long as you're comfortable with being known as the voice of whatever you're doing, that mm. should be your first thing. Secondly, as long as you're also not doing both sides of the equation. Right. You know, if, if, if Prop A is up for uh, vote and you're voicing both the pro and the con, uh, that's that's wrong. You know, that, I don't think that's that's ethically right. I, um, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. And, but also, if those, two, if those two sides of the issue are dumb enough to book the same person, that's... Not your fault. That's their fault. But to your, I think yeah. you're right in terms of not only ethics but also strategy. Just sub, su- subpar. <laughs> yeah. I would say there are things now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, there are things I've said no to. Yeah, sure. Definitely stuff I've said no to. Um, you know, where I am in my career, I do try to think about um, you know a couple different variables. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I know my value. Um, you know, I know how much my work is worth. And so if, if somebody charges, tries to go and charge me uh, or, or get a, a lower rate than I'm prepared to, I say no all the time. Um, Good. You, know, you, you have to keep your standard up there. Absolutely. Uh, so that's one. Two, um, you know, I, I started doing a little bit more kid-oriented stuff in the past year. Um, you know, I've done some young adult audiobooks. I've done some um, animated projects. I actually have a Netflix project that's coming out later on this year that I'll be able to brag about later on this Very year. Very cool. Uh, but it's a kid's cartoon. And so, you know, I was approached uh, on the heels of that with uh, another opportunity that was a little bit more adult-oriented. Ooh, okay. Um, a little bit more on the nose, a little bit more Fifty Shadesy. Okay. <laughs> and, you know... It was a nice rate. Um, it was going to be easy work, and I could have even done it under the veil of anonymity. I didn't feel comfortable if I was going to be appearing in a cartoon geared to three and seven year olds and also doing that other things. That was me. That's fair. That's you know what. It's good that you're in a position where you don't have to make that. You and you can make that choice for the right reasons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's anything wrong with Fifty Shades of Grey for those of you out there? We're just saying. I'm not going to yuck your yum. <laughs> Um, let me ask you this to, to close it. I have one more character I wanted to talk to you about. Um, the last one on your reel is, I think I described him as maybe an older gent who's a tad disgruntled and a tad used to not getting his way. But he said, no, you listen to me. You're not letting me down. You're letting the whole world down. So he's, he's just a sweet guy. He really is. He's innocent. He doesn't believe anybody means anything bad by anything they do. But sometimes people make mistakes. This guy is so he's not necessarily an old guy. He's just a sweetheart. Okay. In so my, he, in my version of it, how I had him created is um, you know, he he just runs a um, an ice cream truck in the, <laughs> in the suburbs, and he just wants everybody to go and have a nice taste of ice cream that day. He's really he's just there to go and make people happy. I like it. All right. Well, he, he's. Uh, I, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed the gravity of whatever the person had done was letting the whole world down. Um, though I did hear him in like a ten second snippet, which is probably why I, I didn't maybe didn't, didn't pick up on his ice cream his ice cream truck business and just being a nice guy. Any characters that I didn't hear on your demo that you think you know maybe to play us out here that people should hear or. Well, I love 
doing my more fancy pirate voice. <laughs> He's a little bit more on a, on a fabulous level of things. Like you see, uh, and every once in a while, I like to go and get into more of an ogre voice. Now, this is Stephen with two Ps. He, uh, he's more of a fancy ogre himself and really appreciates the finer things in life, though most of the time people underestimate him. Stephen with two Ps. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I like Stephen with two Ps. And frankly, I'm going to try to find a way to get him on the show for like a 20-minute segment at some point. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, you just have to go through my booking agent to go and take care of that. I'd be happy to go and up on any time. We like that a lot, Stephen with two Ps. We like that a lot. Um, awesome. Dude, well, Keith, first of all, when you do that network, that Netflix stuff, we'd love to maybe once you're done with it, can talk about it a little, have you come back. Sure. Uh, number Absolutely. number two, thank you for coming on. Thank you for the bits you've done. I'm actually going to dig into the archives and try to start sprinkling them in again now that you've been on. Uh, people will be able to put a voice with a voice, to use a phrase I've never used before. And, <laughs> and um, the last thing I want to say is, I'll ask you on the spot, have you ever been a best man at a wedding, or have you, do you have any good best man maid of honor wedding stories? You know, um, I've never been a best man. I've been in many weddings. Yeah. Um, I have. I was my brother's best man, but you know, I, I guess that that kind of, that should come to mind. I was my brother's best man in his wedding, but I gave probably a twelve-second speech, so I really wanted to focus on that. Um, but the best one that I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, so I was in a wedding for my uh, my best friend from college. It was one of my teammates. Um, you know, I played lacrosse at Rutgers, and um, you know, I, I was in his wedding, so I was, it's memorable to me. His older brother Tom was his best man. And, um, you know, at this time, uh, Rod, my buddy, uh, he had been dating his now wife and mother of his children for quite a while at that point. And uh, she was going through law school, so it was the longest relationship on, on earth. Sure. Uh, we always joke about. And Tom was telling a story um, about Rod's uh, sticking by his woman and, and uh, her sticking by him as well. Um, and he reflected as, until their childhood on Long Island. And, you know, how it gets in the summertime in the Northeast, it's sticky and hot and gross. And uh, their father went out and bought a, uh, an air conditioner <laughs> and uh, went to go and put it up in the, the kid's bedroom one day and had uh, the two boys holding it still in the window. And uh, then he realized he forgot a tool downstairs. So the dad went down into the garage and got the tool huh. and um, you know, whatever it was. And he was walking his way back up to the uh, second floor to go and put in the air conditioner. And he hears a <laughs> crash, explosion. <laughs> And uh, the two boys at that point were like, you know, nine and ten years old, somewhere around there. Uh, they had lost control of, the, uh, of their grip on the air conditioner and it fell and crashed and exploded onto the driveway. So their dad went and cleaned up the air conditioner and put it in the corner of their garage where it remained for years. Wow, really? Forever. And as Tom so eloquently put it in relationship to Rod with his blushing bride, Rod learned at that age how important it was to hold on to something that you love and never let go. <laughs> that's a good story right there, man. I love it. I love it. There we go. And that's out of nowhere. I love it. Yeah, I'll tell you what. And um, I can, I can, that's a good mental picture. But man, I can see that air conditioner crashing, and that could not have been, that could not have been fun for anybody. Um, and they never got another air conditioner. <laughs> no. Well, you know, you buy one. Whether it works or not, you hold on to it because you love it. I love it. I love it. All right, Keith, stick around for a couple seconds. We'll catch up. Everybody else, KeithNorton.com. You can find Keith's voice actor work. If you're in the the market or if you know somebody who is to hire a voice actor, 
Filibuster Freestyle stamp of approval for sure on uh, Keith Norton. Keith, thanks for being on, buddy.